What are some of the latest identified security flaws that could allegedly allow hackers to launch potential attacks on various implantable cardiac devices? And what are the potential fixes? I'm Marianne Kolbisak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. And today I'm speaking with ethical hacker and researcher Billy Rios of security firm Whitescope. Billy will be describing security vulnerabilities that he and fellow security researcher Jonathan Butts have identified in certain cardiac pacemaker devices from medical device maker Medtronic and explain why these flaws are so concerning. So now, Billy, I understand that the latest issues you found involve certain pacemaker products from Medtronic. Could you please briefly describe what you and Jonathan found and what products are potentially impacted? This is something that Jonathan and I have been working on over the last two years, and uh, we discovered like a, a slew of, of vulnerabilities affecting a, a, a number of products. So we've been coordinating some of this vulnerability research through the Department of Homeland Security and also through FDA as well. So over the last 18 months or so, the Department of Homeland Security has been releasing uh, vulnerability advisories kind of on a consistent basis, talking about what we've discovered. And so uh, all total, I think there's nine different specific vulnerabilities that were identified in a, in a number of systems, uh, which includes the pacemaker programmers that we looked at, the CareLink 2090, the home monitoring systems that we looked at. We looked at a neuro stimulator system as well, so the programmer for that, and also the back-end infrastructure, so uh, something that is called the CareLink network or the software delivery network where patient data is uploaded to and software updates are served from. So now, Billy, you mentioned you, you found a, a number of vulnerabilities and that Medtronic has been issuing some advisories. Are there certain vulnerabilities that haven't yet been patched or addressed by Medtronic? Which ones are the ones that are disturbing you the most right now and describe what they are? The most concerning one that we've discovered is there's actually some weakness in the software delivery and software update mechanisms on the pacemaker programmers themselves. So at some point in time, these programmers reach out to a server that's essentially on the internet to try to download some new software for the programmer itself. And then, as you know, and probably a lot of your listeners know, those programmers are by design, have capability to update the therapy on actual implanted devices like pacemakers and ICDs. And so if a pacemaker programmer were to get compromised, any patient that would be to go into the hospital or, or see their physician, if the physician were to use a compromised programmer, the programmer would actually have the, the ability to change the therapy on the pacemaker itself and change the software on the pacemaker itself as well. So essentially put malware on the pacemaker if they wanted to. So uh, there's a variety of weaknesses associated with their software update mechanism. And those, those issues actually haven't been patched. And so we described the weaknesses in that software delivery mechanism about two years ago. Why it's taking so long for them to update, I'm not sure. They've already acknowledged that there is some patient safety risk associated with these vulnerabilities. If you look at the latest press release from the manufacturer, they say that there's a, a low risk uh, that this could be used against someone, but it does acknowledge that, that, that some risk exists, right, which is a, a change from previous uh, wording that they had in the past. But that's, that's the one that's most concerning. There's a handful of other vulnerabilities that are also pretty concerning. For example, at some point in time, we had the ability to send data to their patient care network and actually change data that's associated with other patients, right? So that's obviously not good. I believe manufacturers patched that issue, uh, and I, I think that's the only issue that's been fixed out of the nine different vulnerabilities that we had reported to them. 
So, Billy, when it comes to the most serious vulnerability that you described just a few minutes ago here, what is the potential fix? What is it that Medtronic could do to address the issue of having these programs being changed potentially on uh, a patient's pacemaker without them knowing it? The fix is really simple uh, and something that we've been advocating for them to do over the last two years. If they were to use, utilize something that we called code signing, all of this would actually go away. And so um, code signing is not something that should be too difficult for them to implement. The programmer that they use uses Windows XP, uh, which is you know a little funny because that's like such an old operating system. It's end of life, of course. But it also makes developing a fix pretty straightforward. And then if they were to implement this, like I said, we wouldn't have to worry about any of these scenarios that we're describing. And it's something that I think the software industry kind of has adopted as a whole. Like if you look at an Apple iPhone, every app that you download from the Apple iStore, iTunes store is code signed. If you look at like any gaming console like the Xbox or PlayStation or Nintendo Wii or Nintendo Switch, uh, all that software is code signed. And then to show you a more healthcare-specific example, we had a chance to look at some of the other programmers from other manufacturers, and we know that the Biotronic pacemaker programmer uses the same operating system, uses Windows XP, but uh, their software updates are all code signed. So we know it can be done. Why it's not being done, I'm not sure. I'm sure there's some other motivations from the manufacturer for not doing it, but from a technical standpoint, it's pretty straightforward. And Billy, describe what you mean by code sign. What would that do? The most simple example or uh, explanation as to what code signing is, is it helps technology prove that a piece of software came from a a particular manufacturer. So, for example, I said all the apps in the Apple iStore or the iTunes store are signed by Apple, and that helps every iPhone in the world verify that the software actually came from the right store. Every game for the Nintendo Wii is signed by Nintendo, and that helps every Nintendo Wii in the world verify that the game that it's loading actually came from Nintendo. So in the uh, instance of Biotronic, their software updates are signed. And so when the programmer is about to install the update, the programmer can actually validate that the software update came from Biotronic, right? So it's a well-known security mechanism. It's considered a a best practice. So uh, it, it shouldn't be something that should take too long for them to implement. And so, Billy, what's your advice to patients or health organizations that use these devices or have patients that have these devices? We definitely want to make it clear that, you know, we believe that the benefits associated with these devices, implanted devices and other healthcare devices, probably outweigh the risk for most people. But we also think that if these systems have pretty glaring vulnerabilities, like what we've discovered in the pacemaker programmer, physicians should definitely be made aware of that. Because the unfortunate piece about this is like if you read the manufacturer's press statement, uh, they've determined that there's low risk to patient safety associated with these vulnerabilities. And at some point, I think, I don't think the manufacturer has the right to determine what the risk is to the patient. I think that should really be done by the physician. So, uh, you know, if we can give a physician information and data as to what particular vulnerabilities are, how they could be exploited, and then what the impact, the technical impact of that vulnerability is, let's let the doctor, let's let the physician make the decision as to whether or not there's risk to their patient. And that's what we're really looking for at this point. So now, Billy, as you said, you you found a number of issues that you addressed with Medtronic with their products. And I know you've been looking at many different medical devices, you know, over the years. Does there seem to be a common denominator with the security issues that you're finding with these medical devices overall? 
Are there particular areas of security that are the sort of the center of the problems, whether it's authentication or, you know, what is it that these companies are just not doing overall that they need to do? I think in this example, uh, we looked at four different manufacturers from a study that we did about two years ago, um, pacemaker manufacturers. And so we picked a the top four uh, manufacturers in the industry and just started buying their equipment on auction websites and, and things like that. And so, we, you know, we did some, see some interesting things. We actually wrote a, a report that performed a comparative analysis against the different platforms that we saw. Uh, so there are a lot of similarities. In fact, there's a striking number of similarities between all the different systems. The thing that we noticed here, though, is that for three of the manufacturers, when we started reporting vulnerabilities to them and uh, letting them know about this, the study that we we're doing, they're pretty receptive. And that's something that we've seen kind of, you know, if you look at the uh, healthcare industry, the manufacturing, device manufacturing industry as a whole, uh, I think with a broad stroke, we're starting to see a more receptive attitude towards researchers and security vulnerabilities being reported to them on the whole. So, but in this instance, for this one manufacturer, they just had a hard time dealing with these issues. Um, and you can kind of see it through their press releases and the advisories where, uh, it seems like they're a little confused about which issues are which, and it seems like they kind of confuse uh, vulnerabilities in one system with the other when they're releasing their press releases. And, and at the end of the day, we don't see anything that's fixed. So of the nine different vulnerabilities we've, we've reported, one has been patched. Um, you know, we demonstrated the ability to take over an insulin pump via you know, radio frequencies and deliver an unattended bolus to someone or deny the ability for someone to get uh, the medicine that they, that they need through an insulin pump. Those issues were acknowledged by the manufacturer and advisor was released, but there's no patch for that, right? Because as I said before, it seems like the manufacturer is accepting patient safety risks when they're, they really shouldn't be doing that. It should really be more of a physician, I think, activity. The pacemaker programmer vulnerabilities, none of those are fixed. Uh, we can still exploit a pacemaker programmer if we wanted to and put our own code on there. We have some uh, neurostimulator programmer vulnerabilities. Those are not fixed. And so don't know why there's such a hesitancy to actually implement real software engineering fixes for this. I mean, there's been plenty of press releases, right? And so, but very little security engineering, right? I don't want to paint the picture that the entire industry is doing this, really kind of narrow down to one or two different manufacturers. But as you can see, this particular manufacturer has a pretty large reach into the healthcare world. And so you would think that they'd want to protect the, their devices and make it so that the devices could be used safely in a clinical setting. And Billy, when it comes to emerging cyber trends that you're seeing with medical devices, are most of the problems, for example, that you've found, are they mostly like legacy products? And are the manufacturers getting any better from what you can tell in terms of addressing cyber issues in the newer products that they are introducing? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. So as a whole, I think the industry is getting better. So when we look at the newer devices, the pre-market devices that we've had a chance to look at, uh, it seems like those are a lot better than the legacy than the legacy devices. With that said, there are certain situations that we encounter where maybe a manufacturer might be putting a little too much stock into the, the next version of their product. And I think the the pacemaker programmer, the CareLink 2090, is a good example of that. Uh, I know that when we were talking to some folks over at Medtronic about some of the security issues that we had kind of discovered, one of the answers that they had was said, hey, we're building some of these security defenses into our next generation programmer. And, and we think that's great. However, you know, if you're a physician and you're delivering care to patients today and probably for the next you know, few years, that programmer doesn't exist. 
And so, you know, there's a risk that's associated with devices that are in hospitals today that are being used by clinicians and doctors and clinical staff. If we know about vulnerabilities that could be used to hurt people, those should be fixed. Even if the manufacturer believes that there's a low risk of a particular vulnerability being exploited, it should still be fixed. So I'm glad that manufacturers are putting a lot of stock and effort into improving the security of their next generation products. But if there's a product that's in a physician's hands today and that product has vulnerabilities and those vulnerabilities could be used to hurt someone, that's a pretty serious situation. And I don't think the right answer is to tell the doctor to wait until the next version comes out, right? So it's a little bit of a tricky situation, but I I think it's one that's manageable. Thanks, Billy. I've been speaking to researcher Billy Rios. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.